What's up, everyone, and welcome to Making the Shift. We're an SLP couple from California with three boys and a passion for finding better ways to support autistic kids. I'm Chris. You might know me as Speech Dude. I'm a neurodivergent high school SLP and the creator of the dynamic assessment of social-emotional learning, and I specialize in crafting neurodiversity-affirming IEPs through my online course. And I'm Jesse, a sensory integration trained SLP, owner of a top rated clinic in Los Angeles, and the creator of the Inside Out Sensory Communication Programs for Parents and Therapists. Join us weekly to learn neurodiversity affirming ways to support social emotional development and regulation in autistic kids. Are you ready to make the shift? Let's do it. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to our live show and our podcast. As you can probably see, Jesse's not with me on this. I am doing a solo show. We are going to jump in to a core principle that frames a neurodiversity affirming IEP. Now, this core principle is also key to a the way a therapist frames their goals, the way a psychologist might frame a report, the way uh, therapy approach might be at a private practice. So this is a really valuable one. I think you're going to love this episode. Before we jump into that, though, uh, fairly recently we had Easter, and I hope that you all um, for that weekend had an enjoyable one. We had the children hunt down some Easter eggs and locate them in the back, and the Easter bunny decided to leave some Easter poop on our lawn in the backyard. I was like, wait a minute. Way to go, Dad. I forgot to to clean up the doggy poop the night before. And when we were out hunting, I was like, oh, shoot. That was the one thing I forgot to do. So <laughs> I don't know why I disclosed that to you. But now that you have, you have more information than I should have given you. <laughs> anyway, let's dive into this episode. We are talking about one key component for um, and one key concept and principle for a neurodiversity affirming IEP. Okay, this one you might have heard of, but I really want to dive into what it means because it is so, so important. And as I talk about it, I'm going to give you five signs to keep an eye out for to see if that IEP is going down that direction or if that therapist is mindful of these things. So we're going to look and talk about it, but I also want to give you five signs to keep an eye out for. The um, The core concept is this. The IEP should presume competence, okay? So another way I frame that to make a little bit more sense is that the report, the therapist, the IEP should assume capability. It should assume that, hey, you know what? Just because we have this standardized score that says this student or this child is in the far below average range or whatever it might be, we're going to assume that they have, we presume that they have competence, that they're capable. But let's dive into specifically what that means in a variety of areas. So we know as we discuss neurodivergent brains, neurotypical brains, autistic brains, a neurodivergent brain functions or perceives the world and experiences the world differently, right? 
when it comes to problem solving, perspective taking, communication, experiencing sensory input. It's just different. Not better or worse, just different. But it's really important because we want to make sure that we presume competence and um, acknowledge that we're not trying to make an autistic child a neurotypical student, right? Because that leads to uh, more harm than good, right? Our, our children are not broken neurotypicals. They are perfectly fine who they are, but we want to presume competence so we can build the right approach, the right therapy plan, the right goals. So let me give you a couple examples on that of what might be mistakenly equating to incompetence. An example, a child may prefer to communicate, maybe not with their voice. They might prefer in the moment gestures. They might be preferring pointing. They might be preferring using an alternative means to communicate. But sometimes people might mistakenly presume that the child's incapable of understanding or that the child is incapable of communicating. So they make an assumption that the child can't do that. Um, so that's just not the true, the truth for most of our students. And making assumptions like those can result in the child's capabilities being grossly underestimated. That leads to missed opportunities for them to reach their full potential. In episode 21 or 22, I think episode 22, we talked about five key signs to look out for, some myths about AAC. Now, if a child is not being provided access to an AAC device or a way of communicating, um, then that person, that therapist, that approach might not be presuming that they're capable of it. So they might say things that there has to be prerequisites before they can trial a device, right? We don't want that. We want to be able to give everybody equal access to a way to communicate their needs. And sometimes we'll see unreliable speakers. So sometimes they might speak in certain situations and sometimes they might prefer to um, have an alternative way of communicating. We still want to make sure that we provide access to communication. And that's really, really, really important. We want to build a foundation that they, that our students have the potential to learn, that they have the potential to grow, that they have potential to make decisions and choices. Um, on a different episode, I'll talk a little bit more about when we, we have to just be cautious when using PECS. Now, PECS is a communication system with visuals, but it's an actual system. So I really like visual supports. I like communication cards, but the actual PECS system we have to be very cautious on because that system is built on a re on a request. So you, um, you ask a person to answer something and then they have to use their card to request, but it doesn't build on autonomy. It doesn't build on them eventually being able to make choices on their own. It doesn't build on their autonomy to communicate with a classmate by talking about what they did on the weekend or, you know, um, really being able to build on that autonomous communication. So a lot of times PECS, that system is 
presuming incompetence. They're saying, hey, we got to start here. Sometimes you'll hear that a child will be faded off from that. I would, especially if the child's four years or older, um, very, very cautious on that because if it's built on a requesting system, then the child will only want to do it if there's a reward attached to it. And then it's really hard to wean off um, from that reward system. So just saying, being cautious on that. Maybe it works for some, but uh, in my 20 years experience, I would recommend providing um, a mode of communication, presuming competence that the child can have access to robust vocabulary system and that over time that they can build that autonomy and that independence and that even if it's not a dependence, maybe it could be codependence, just being able to say, hey, whether it's verbal or um, non-speaking right through, a, through maybe an iPad to say, hey, I'm really extremely stressed out about having to go to the dentist after school or I really do not want to go to that rally that the class is going to because it's way too many people. There's way too many bright lights and loud sounds, and that's just going to dysregulate me. So presuming competence. Yeah, we we um, understand that our children have unique skills. They have unique strengths and abilities. And um, what we do is by presuming competence, we describe the student's level of support rather than using labels, rather than saying, um, that the child's low functioning or that the child is severe, we would describe what that is. So let me give you an example. This child prefers to communicate with alternative communication by using gestures. This child thrives when given access to an AAC device where they can express their wants and needs and connect with their peers. This child becomes extremely dysregulated when they're in a large group and everybody's talking at once. This child requires a sensory break every class halfway through to make sure that they're moving um, so they can get their, their energy out. Like those are some examples rather than saying this child is low functioning because then it, the, everybody has the language at the IEP and if it's framed in that way, then it doesn't give access to for the child to meet their full potential. So, um, yeah, it's very limiting. So um, let's talk about signs that a therapist to look out for or signs in the IEP of what it presuming competence might look like. The team, the case carrier, the educator, the therapist actively listens to the child. And if the child's not speaking, then they actively pay attention to what might be dysregulating them or what might be holding them back to accessing certain things or to completing a task, right? They take their perspective seriously. So that's the very first sign to look for in a therapist that presumes competence. They actively listen to the child. The child says, I am really stressed out at lunchtime because of where I sit. I'm at a table of people I don't know. Or the child says, you know what? I can't sit by the door. It's by the air conditioner and it has this really loud buzz. Rather than saying, well, nobody else has a problem with that. Just deal with it. The person actively listens, right? The therapist actively listens. That's presuming competence. Sign number two. They, we just kind of talked about this. They acknowledge and respect the child's communication style. 
Maybe it's speaking at times and maybe it's through non-speaking means. Maybe it's writing down something. Maybe it's the child pointing so that they have to go to the bathroom. Now, remember, even for someone who's fully speaking, someone who um, has a lot of language and is constantly speaking, that doesn't always mean in a high stressful situation or where there's a lot of anxiety that that person or that individual is going to be able to communicate their needs. Remember, um, Jesse talks about this in previous episodes. When we shift down to our downstairs brain, we are in safety mode and we don't have the language there to communicate. So presuming competence is also understanding that if the person at the moment can't speak their words verbally, then respecting and acknowledging that an alternative way of communicating is valid. AAC, sign language, gestures, letter boards, all of those things. Number three, they value your child's unique strengths and abilities. So they identify um, what strengths the child has, and they work to build and to help the areas that are challenging rather than perceiving these the stereotypical things that you would hear or repetitive behaviors, they identify and say, you know what? This child is really passionate about art. This child is really passionate about music. And then they use the strengths and abilities, great memory, very honest. I mean, there's just a, a long list of, of things and working on how we can frame it to also get the needs met. So that's number three for presuming competence. I'm valuing your child's strengths and abilities. You have to, we want to hear that. We want to hear that in the IEP um, because it can be daunting going to a meeting and all you hear is, I can't, I can't, they, the child can't do this. The child can't do that. You know, we, we need some language to say, okay, what can they do? And then how can we get those needs met? Number four, sign of identifying an individual or a therapist or an IEP that presumes competence is that they focus on the child's potential, right? Rather than perceived deficits, rather than perceiving that the child doesn't want to have friends or that they don't have empathy or that that they can't engage in back and forth conversation or conversations, they reflect back and say, you know what? This child has the potential if I can create the right environment and I can remove barriers in the class and I can build the right accommodations, then we're, we can focus on the potential. We're not going to just, we're not going to focus on these perceived deficits, right? That's what that whole strengths-based um, language and model is. The last one, to look for a therapist or an IEP that presumes competence. And this is a hard one, but it's one that we can guide and we can learn as therapists and we can learn as an IEP team to make that shift. The title of this uh, podcast, right? Um, and live show, avoid using negative language or labeling a child in a way that could be stigmatizing and hurtful. You know, that that child is socially awkward. That child is um severely handicapped that child is low functioning like that negative type of language ends up stigmatizing the child and that type of language ends up making people feel like they they're presuming that the child can't understand or communicate on their own and then it never allows the child to reach their full potential and so um those are the five key signs for 
identifying an individual or an IEP that presumes competence. I want to give some advice. If you hear some of these things of um, language that might be stigmatizing or using negative language, I act as a model. So if someone, you know, says something that, um, that I want to shift their view or their thought on, then what I do is I reframe it. So I'll give you an example of a teacher comes to me and says, yeah, that student um, is severely handicapped. I'll reframe it and say, oh, I think what you mean to say is, or I might just say, oh, so like, can you describe that? That's easier for me to identify. Can you describe what their challenges are? And rather than, you know, framing it as severely handicapped, we, if we can provide the access if we can provide the right IEP and the accommodations, then the child can reach that full potential, right? So I really think it's important. That's how I frame it, though. I'll just say, can you describe what it is that the child is currently struggling with? And then once I get that language, I say, okay, now what we can do is provide some tools and some goals to help that child. So whatever it is that's difficult for them is less difficult. Right. That's kind of the idea behind that. So this episode um, on what one of the core principles, core concepts for identifying a neurodiversity affirming IEP or therapist or practice. Um, that's a huge one. There are several other ones that um, I have put together in a framework, all of the things that make up a neurodiversity affirming IEP. I'm in the process of creating it. It's going to be ready here in the next couple of weeks. It's an ebook. I'm giving it out for free. And I'm going to be providing it at an upcoming live free webinar to talk about the things that will make a, the, a better IEP, right? For all of us. This one's specific for parents. I'll have one for therapists to keep an eye out for, but this one's specifically for, for parents. So if you're a parent, and you're of a child that's autistic that's on an IEP and you're looking for a better way to frame things and you want access to, or not access, I should say, but you want the PDF as a guide. So like everything that I just talked about are some of those key bullet points in this. So that way you just have it right in front of you. You could say, okay, this is um, a way that I can use some of this language to help build a stronger IEP that's not stigmatizing my child, that identifies my child and their unique differences and building a platform to get those needs met, then uh, you can check out the show notes. I'll have a link for that. And you can also head to the link in my bio on social media, or you can reach out to me, Chris at speechdo.com. But check out the show notes. That'll give you a, a direct link. Or you could go to the link uh, on, my, on my Instagram or my TikTok, and that'll give you access. As always, I appreciate you staying in there. I hope you got some value out of this episode. And I want you, as I always say, to be legendary and stay cool, my friends. Until next time, we'll see you then. If you enjoyed today's episode, hit subscribe, write a review, or share it with a friend. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.